but I've never had the, the, you know, I never had anything written out. I've never had a checklist of, I have to be doing X, Y, Z by a certain age. It just kind of feels like once I get into something, I try to be two feet in all the time, because I know for me, if I'm thinking ahead to something, I'm not going to be giving my best effort because my brain's going to, I'm going to be pulled stretched too thin. So that's hard. I mean, some people are really good at that, but I just can't. That's not how I operate. Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Knicks. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investments. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have a true famous guest for you today. It is one of my favorite people in the world that I got to know several years back. It is Courtney Cronin, who is a national award-winning journalist who joined ESPN in August of 2017 as the Minnesota Vikings reporter before assuming the role of the Chicago Bears NFL Nation reporter in 2022. She's also a host on ESPN Radio, which I have a friend coming to visit me today. He said I listen to her all the time. Um, a regular on Sports Center, which I must say I have seen the helmet that I gave you on Sports Center before. Sitting, it makes a lot of appearances. <laughs> it may you you were smart to think me, ahead there that that thing would me, get on national TV. Yes, it makes me feel good. Um, <laughs> also a regular on First Take. Also a regular on Around the Horn, which I watched the other day, and I do have a question about that, like. Do you ever win around the horn? Have you ever won? I've won 18, 19 times now. I won yesterday. Really? Mm-hmm. How many times have you been on? I think I'm up. To, I'm almost at 60. So my win okay, percentage okay. is pretty good. 19 okay, out of well, like 59 shows. I'm going to have to up up my game. You know, I was just the one I watched the other day, just recently. You kind of got smoked. And I'm thinking like, man, does she win? <laughs> man, that's it got smoked. You got wow, smoked. I thought that, I but did. it was okay. Like it was. You know, like you can't win them all. I would assume that's true. That's true. It's a game show with game show with very random scoring, which is kind of the whole point. No doubt about it. Um, Before ESPN worked for the San Jose Mercury News, where she covered the Warriors, the Raiders, the 49ers, the Giants, the A's and the Sharks, and also the Colin Kaepernick uh, national anthem deal, which could be interesting. Um, But before that was. Worked at the Clarence Ledger, which is where I met her, which is a newspaper in central Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi, where she covered high school football, basketball, as well as SEC football, and has done all of that upon graduating Indiana University in, I think, 2012. That's correct. Um, yeah. From Illinois. So, you know, kind of back home right now. So, man, what a path, you know? And I don't know if, you know, first of all, welcome. You know, thank you for doing this. It means a lot. Like, of course. Um, 
fully expected you to say yes, because there's one, you know, there's several things about you that I admire. Number one is you are a very authentic human being, like you are who you are and you are a caring human being, which, you know, you probably don't remember this, but while that three-year period you was in um, Jackson, Mississippi, my daughter got really sick. You ended up giving her one of your favorite teddy bears as a gift, you know, like, so thoughtful that's not normal that's not you know I've been around a lot of journalists sports reporters whatever you want to call it like I've been around a ton and I can remember I don't know if I made this statement to you but I know I made it to my wife and to my friends Courtney Cronin will not be in Jackson long like she is destined for ESPN so this is where I want to start high school you know were you a sports um person in high school did you play sports um Coach me up through your high school uh, career. Sure. So I played soccer growing up. It was something that they, you know, are in the North Shore area. It's huge up here. Travel soccer, AYSO. That's how I kind of got my start. And then into the travel ranks in high school. And I was a JV goalie. My sophomore year, I got three concussions in the span of about a year and a half. So the first one was my club season in like the fall of 2000 in five, 2004. Um, and then I got two more in season and my mom was like, you're done. Like you, you, we're not doing this anymore. Like clearly, you know, as a goalie, I was a very aggressive player and you know, it's a, it's a contact sport. So I had to find something else to do once my mom was like, all right, you're not going to be playing soccer as a junior. Like you can put this out of your head. And I didn't think I was great. I never had the plans of like going to play in college or trying to play professionally, but I really enjoyed the sport and I wanted to do something because I'd always been drawn to, to sports, to athletics, to competition. And fortunately my high school radio, my high school had a radio station and my brother was in the sports broadcasting class that was during the school day. And then afterwards, after school, they would do, they, they were on like the educational band, which is like 87.9 FM to 99.1. So that's where NPR is. It's where you'll hear university radio stations, low public access. And we had a station 88.5 FM and we had sports talk shows after school. We had games that we did play by play and in color for over the weekends, which usually like football, boys and girls, basketball, some baseball, And I fell right into it because it gave me an outlet to still be involved in sports, kind of like the sports adjacent, but not, you know, playing sports, not competing. But it really allowed me then to learn more than just soccer, learn all the sports that I was interested in, that I loved watching on TV. I grew up in the Chicagoland area. So, of course, grew up a Bulls fan, grew up a Hawks fan, grew up a Cubs fan. And so I got to learn about those sports, how the game was played. And then be able to talk about them in conversational format from a very young age. So I've I've always kind of found it in my path interesting. And what I tell a lot of students going into college, expect to change your major a number of times. Expect to, you know, not end up in the path that you started, uh, thought you were going to do when you started out in. But for me, don't, don't look at my example because I stayed with my major. I thought I was going to go more of the broadcast side, which in a roundabout way. That's how I, that's kind of how I ended up at least to where I'm at right now. But, you know, radio for me, it's wild how much it's come full circle. Cause I was 15 years old when I got into that. And now I'm 32 
and I host radio shows on, you know, a weekly, if not daily basis, like even like, you know, a couple hours, I'm going to get ready to host a show eight to midnight. That's what I do. And so it's so cool that I can look back at a 15 year old version of me and think you have no clue what's coming, like what's coming down the line, but like stick with this because you could very well make a career out of it. So that's, I mean, that's the way that I got into sports. Um, most people have the stories of, of, of playing and being entrenched in the game in that way. And my just, my way is different. And I think there's no, there's no two paths that are the same and that's okay too. Well, let me ask you this. My first thought is um, for everybody listening, I'm telling the kids in Nixa right now, you know, like soccer's a brutal sport. You should come play football. Like we actually <laughs> wear helmets and pads and things like it'll be much more safer for you. So, you know, jump into football. Number two, you know, like you're not even hardly old enough to be a Michael Jordan fan, are you? So in like, I don't remember the first three championships because I was like, you know, three, four and five years old. But then, you know, when they did the repeat, the three peat and the, the whole thing for me, watching the last dance during COVID was one of the biggest educational experiences mm -hmm. I had as, as an adult about the Bulls, because there was so much I was too young to comprehend about the friction between the front office, basically telling Phil Jackson and the players, like, you guys can have one more run at this, but we're blowing it up regardless of what happens in the 1998 season. So I remember those years, like 96 through 98, that was when, you know, I, you know, I had an older brother, my, the city was obviously like electric at that time with the bulls being as good as they were in a, in a true dynasty. So I knew about it and I remember watching Michael Jordan, but frankly, when people say who was the per like, which is the, who's the athlete that you grew up watching? My generation was Kobe. I was a little bit too young to truly appreciate Michael Jordan until mm. I got to be, you know, in my teenage years, but Kobe's who that that's kind of like my formative years of mm. learning about basketball, but I, I still have so much Mike, Michael Jordan memorabilia around my house. It's, um, I don't think you can be in Chicago without that. Well, one thing that, you know, coaching high school kids, it always comes up, you know, like who's the best basketball player ever. And for anybody that lived through the Michael Jordan era, you're not hardly going to find anybody that lived through that. That's going to say anybody other than him. Okay. Well, these young guys today, and I'm not sure where you fall on this, but the young guys today, it's co I mean, it's not Kobe, it's LeBron. It's mm -hmm. LeBron. LeBron's the best. LeBron. Well, they don't even know because they, you know, they didn't live through that. You know what I'm saying? Would yeah. you, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I am like, who's the best basketball player of all time. It's, I mean, my answer would probably be Michael Jordan, but I think the way that I like to answer this question, because of course it's one of the greatest sports debates and you'll never get, sure. you'll never get a, an answer in unison. There's always going to be people who think that LeBron and obviously this past year playing at 38 years old, you know, winning the scoring title, scoring title, uh, in, in by the time he's done playing, that bar is going to be set so far out that it's going to be impossible for whoever's next to get close to it. But Michael Jordan played in a different era. The defenses of the 1990s, late 80s, 1990s were a lot different than what they face today. They weren't dealing with load management. They weren't dealing with some of the circumstances and the way that the game has changed to becoming a three-point game in the, to the current day of the NBA. But LeBron plays position, like, you know, LeBron, Stephen Curry, but like, I really do think with LeBron, you have a six, six point guard. He plays positionless basketball. And that's not saying that Michael Jordan didn't, it's just, it was a different brand of basketball then. So I think it's fair to have the goat conversation and it's always, sure. I think that it doesn't need to just, it can, it can extend to Kobe. It can extend to, 
you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There's other goats. And, sure. and the top 10 lists are typically where you find a lot of variation, a lot of disagreement and fun debate out of it. But I, I always like to hear what people's answers are for MJ versus LeBron, because pretty soon when LeBron retires, I think we will be having that conversation in earnest uh, more frequently because of how long he will have played if he does indeed retire at 40 years old. And if he can get another title later on, which would have been years past the time that Michael got his last title. Well, one thing I know for sure, we have these things called reticular activating systems and the way our brains work. Like you're not ever going to change one. Like if you're a LeBron guy, then you're going to look for all the reasons why LeBron is the best and if you're a michael joy and you can find it you can go on there and google and find whatever you want you know it's kind of you know it's kind of interesting all right we jump into college and you are in journalism like that's what you want to do um i'm guessing from you know the time you got there Mm -hmm. like when did you know like does it when does it take a turn you know towards sports or was it sports the whole time or you know like what was that it was sports the whole time. Like I've always told people, I don't want to cover fires. I don't want to cover, you know, homicides, all that stuff with the real life stuff. And especially like the local news realm, like politics too. It's just, it never, I never, it's never drawn to it. Of course, there's the adrenaline rush of covering breaking news, but I do that in sports and I never strayed from my path. Like when I got to college at Indiana university and the reason I chose there is because I knew as a freshman from others who had gone through the program that I could get on-air experience from, you know, very early on in my freshman year. There are other schools, Northwestern, Syracuse, Missouri, that are terrific journalism schools, but I'd have to wait until I was, you know, a junior to be able to get my reps. And I wanted to go from the moment I got there. So my my experience in college from freshman year through senior year, when I became the sports director of our student television station was that was my sorority. That was my fraternity. That was my activity. That's the bit that's, that was my extracurricular. And frankly, I think I put more weight on what I did in student TV and covering, you know, covering teams and all that probably than I did some of my coursework, which of course is an adult now, Like when I speak to journalism students and high school students who are ready to go to college, I always say, you know, some of your core classes, math, science, you just got to do the best you can get it out of the way. Make sure that you can be dangerous in a foreign language. So just know enough to get by if you have to, um, because it can it can be something that you can end up using as a skill if you need to, you know, baseball. If you cover baseball, you better be able to speak some Spanish. I have a Spanish degree. It's kind of unfortunate. I mean, I cover football. Like we don't really use it all that much, but if I was in a major league baseball locker room, there's a big chance I'd be using that daily. And then on top of that, like take creative writing classes, take classes, take English classes that teach you more about the craft of writing than you'll probably get just from like your sports nuts and bolts, sports writing classes. But you know, I was there my, you know, my whole four years, I was like, all right, I'm going into local sports. I'm going to probably apply a thousand times and hope that I get to become a weekend sports anchor somewhere. And that's what I did, but it never really panned out that way. Like I had, you know, by the time I graduated college in like the spring of 2012, all these jobs I had applied for, and you know, wherever, like middle of nowhere, Iowa, um, 
all of those places in local TV, I never heard, I never got a call back from any of them. I estimated upwards of like 50, 50 jobs, five, zero jobs that I had applied for. Wow. And no one commented on my reel. And this was back at the time where I was sending stuff, physical DVD resume that I'd go to like Kinko's to print on nice paper, <laughs> send it in the mail with postage, make sure it got there. And I never heard back from anyone and it was hard not to get discouraged. Cause it's like, man, what is my, is my real awful? Like, am I just like not cut out to do this? Because I don't have a backup plan. Like this is it. And so I ended up going the route of taking a digital communications internship at the NCAA. So a post-grad internship. And that opened up my world to something completely different. I got to learn the like the inner work, got to see kind of up close at a really pivotal time for the NCAA in 2012, like the inner workings of college athletics and the communication side, the messaging, the branding, um, but also learn a lot about video production because before I went to Mississippi, I didn't have, I, I knew how to edit, I knew how to shoot to produce, but that really took my game up a, a couple levels. So I was hired, I would be, you know, in position to be hired as a video journalist to build something that didn't exist before I got to Mississippi. So that's another thing I always tell students, do not be ashamed to take an internship after you graduate, whether it's paid or whether it's not. And unfortunately in this industry, there are a lot of low paying jobs. There are a lot of no paying jobs, uh, especially when you're starting out in the internship capacity, but it's, it's so rare that you'll find a job that is exactly what you want out of college. So you've got to be willing to make some concessions to still stay on the path that you're on, but maybe bolster some skills that you don't have or want to sharpen and do that in an internship capacity before you're ready for like your first quote unquote real job. Sure. And you know, something I tell young coaches all the time, like you are better off taking a job at a school, you know, doing anything even if you're not getting a supplement but if they have a great high school football coach if you want to be a football coach go find that place you know like go work for free for a year because that will pay you more dividends than going somewhere you know under somebody who's not great or not you know doesn't serve you well you know let me ask you this like were you a goal person like when you were in college did you have goals did have you ever you know, like, were those goals written down? Were they in your head? Like, you know, like, what, where, where do you fall on the goals thing? Oddly enough, for as type A as I can be, and I'm very, like, I, I, liked, I like my schedule written out. I like being able to check off things off my to-do list. I've never been a five-year, 10-year plan person, which is, which is wild to me with how I ended up at ESPN. The only goal I had in mind was that, and this was, like, as I was starting – you know, to go through living in Mississippi to Oakland to Minneapolis. I said, by the time I'm 30, I'd like to be back in Chicago. Let's see if we can make that happen. I never had a goal of working at ESPN. I really didn't. I wanted to go to a place that I could feel, you know, empowered in what I was covering. And for me, every step along the way, I've really tried to ingratiate myself, not only in like what my job is, but where I'm living. And that's one thing I was like really proud of when I was in Mississippi, because Jackson is a transient market. You get a lot of people who are in their early 20s who use that as a stepping stone, much like I did. But I feel like I really put roots down there, which is why 
it was hard for me to leave. And I was homesick, not for Chicago. When I left Mississippi to go to the Bay area where you go from like, you know, you're in the biggest city in Jackson, Mississippi, 500,000 people, roughly maybe in the Metro area um, to a place where there's 7, 7 million people in a 42 mile radius, like in, in, you know, between Oakland, San Jose and San Francisco in a completely different part of the country culturally, like I was really homesick for Jackson and my life there because I had to start over. So I think not, you know, of course the people that, you know, have daily goals, you have monthly goals, yearly goals, you want to set your sights on something bigger, but I've never had something written out of like, I am going to be this, I'm going to make it here and make this much money and, you know, be covering this team. Once I find something I like, I really try to like shape my life around it. So the example I always think of is, you know, when I was in the Bay Area, like the Warriors were the biggest thing that I covered out there the two years I was there, which is kind of wild because, you know, the NFL is king. Yet in that area, when the Warriors were winning a lot of championships, that was the bread and butter. But when I fell into covering the Raiders and 49ers in the fall of 2016, I I realized like, okay, this is what I like. This is where, this is what I'm drawn towards. The NFL football has always been my wheelhouse. And I really enjoy this. Let's narrow our focus a little bit. Like obviously still doing a lot of different things there, but I really wanted to focus in on football and get, as good as I could covering that sport from the multimedia perspective. Remember, like I didn't have that writing skill um, that I have now. I mean, I was a professional journalist in Mississippi when I was learning how to write because I came out with as a broadcast major and didn't have the writing skills that I needed. So I kind of learned on the fly. But I knew when I was leaving California that I needed to make a decision before I was leaving. Like, Are you going to stay trying to do the video thing? Are you going to stay kind of in this multimedia role? Or are you really going to go for it and try to become a beat writer where you get to know one team really, really well, everybody in the building, the day-to-day operation, and get to perfect something? Like that's probably as close as I've come to like the goals, the goal part. I mean, of course, there's milestones you want to hit. And I did make it back to Chicago when I was 31. So I was close to my... Sure. Like, you know, my, my overarching goal of being here by the time I was 30, but I've never had the, the, you know, I never had anything written out. I've never had a checklist of, I have to be doing X, Y, Z by a certain age. It just kind of feels like once I get into something, I try to be two feet in all the time, because I know for me, if I'm thinking ahead to something, I'm not going to be giving my best effort because my brain's going to, I'm going to be pulled stretch too thin. So that's hard. I mean, some people are really good at that, but I just can't, that's not how I operate. Cool. I got two questions from that. Well, number one's a statement. Like one, one thing that I would say, you know, when I tell people or your name comes up and I talk about how I really honestly thought she was different from everybody else was just what you just said. Like you took that job and you were all in, like there was no, you know, like, it wasn't a job. And then I'm going to go do this. Like it was the life, you know, like I remember, you know, me and um, Brad Peterson and a couple of our coaches at an all-star game. And you're like, where are you guys going tonight? You know, like 
you wanted to know everything. Like you wanted to get to know us. You wanted to know the sport. You wanted to be, you wanted to be a part of it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just a job. Too many people do just a job and, you know, they're average. They just, you know, it is what it is. And you are not that from the very beginning. And I think that's exactly what you were saying, but this is my question. Okay. Like maybe I don't have goals written down, but when you go from Jackson to Oakland or Oakland to Chicago, are you applying or are they calling? Like, how does that work? I've never applied for a job, which is just wild to me. Um, Hopefully it stays that way. But the way that it's worked, a lot of it's it's pretty serendipitous, like my path. And that's why when I, people are like, oh, like, do I have to cover high schools? Do I have to start in the pros? Like, you know, nobody's path is the same. I would never replace my path for anything. I needed high schools to learn how to do this job and yeah. to learn how to talk to people and to learn about the sport, to learn how to ask questions. I know some people starting out from college look and say, well, I don't want to do high schools. I, you know, a lot of people think they're above it. And for me, preps is how I think everybody should have the experience, I'm not mad at people who start, you know, covering, mm. you know, college football, covering the NFL, but that's not how my path was. So when I was at the NCAA in March of 2013, we, I was, you know, when you, it's a perk of being an employee, you get tickets to all the regionals. Can't get final four tickets until you've, like, I think been there for like five years. So, but I got to go to a regional. IU, my alma mater, was playing at Rupp Arena in Kentucky, and then they were playing at Dayton. So not too far away. My brother and I went. We had our tickets. We kind of went on a road trip going back and forth between the sites for the couple days uh, to go see IU in, in Ohio and then just to watch the games at, at Rupp Arena. And I had applied for the Mississippi State beat writer job at the Clarion Ledger because an old coworker of mine posted on Facebook that they were looking for a beat writer to cover Mississippi State because their writer went to, I think, go cover Auburn. And I thought to myself, because at this point I'm applying for any and everything, TV jobs, I'd reworked my reel. I'm like, all right, I'm going to just go all in on this during my internship. And I said like, okay, I covered IU basketball, IU men's basketball and football, like a beat reporter in college. I didn't write, I was doing video, but we showed up at every practice. We showed up as, at all the home games and as many road games as we could afford to get to as a station. Like, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to give it a shot. And I send my reel in to Rusty Hampton, who was the former sports director, sports editor at the Clarion Ledger. And I knew I wasn't quali quite qualified to be a Mississippi State beat writer, but I took a shot in the dark. And what happened was when I was on, when I was in Dayton for the ahead of this IU game that we were watching during March Madness, I get a call from the executive director of the paper who said, more or less, we're not, we're hiring somebody else in a Mississippi State job, but Rusty passed your stuff along to me because he knows that I want to start this new position that doesn't exist yet. Like this video is called video journalist for passion topics, which was a fancy name for every city that Gannett had a paper in. like the passion topics could be different in Mississippi. One of those passion topics happened to be football, everything from high schools all the way to state and Ole Miss and Southern. And I, it's it, like, had I not taken that chance and apply, you know, applied for that, that's the only job I've really applied for. I don't think I'm there. I'm definitely not there. I don't know where I'd be, but 
the way my career path has gone when like when I go when I got out to to the Bay Area, they found my work through the Associated Press Sports Editors Convention that we have every year. Um, and if you build a reputation for yourself, if your work is consistent and it's strong, people will take notice. Sometimes you don't feel like they will, but if you just keep producing good content and you keep, mm. you know, having a good conversation about what you're doing, like that stuff travels. So it's kind of a matter of like just a lot of luck, I think that falls into that because there's some very talented people I know who, you know, have either gotten like stuck or pigeonholed into certain roles or want to advance and can't, but I've been willing to go any and everywhere, which I know a lot of people can't, like people have families, people have restrictions on, you know, finances that will prevent them from like, can't just like pick up and move. It's very difficult. But I knew that if I was going to get to where I'm at right now, it was going to take a ton of sacrifice. And I was okay with that because I went in with the mindset that it wasn't going to be easy, that there were going to be a lot of personal concessions I'd have to make to be able to get where I wanted to go. And that led to a lot of opportunities that came up where I was in a position to say, yeah, I'd really like to come out uh, to Minnesota and cover the Minnesota Vikings. Yes. I would love to move to Chicago to cover the Chicago bears and understanding that your time will eventually come that you don't have to be. Cause I think it's like the people I've, I've known people who are constantly applying constantly on job boards, whether it's, you know, this career path or another thing. And I think your work suffers when you're constantly looking for what's next and the next step when you should, you know, you need to be focused on what you're doing right now, because when you're focused on what you're doing right now, it'll lead to the next thing. It might not come on the timeline you have in, ingrained in your head. Remember, I thought I was going to be here by the time I was 30, mm-hmm. but it'll come eventually. Like there is something to be, I mean, a lot of things are, as we know, like in this world, not everything is merit-based um, or not everything's hard. Yeah. Merit-based, hard work-based. Sometimes there's just luck of right sure. place, right time. But if you do put in the hard work and if you do put in the extra effort and go, you know, above and beyond, there will be someone who recognizes it. And that's how a door could open, which is, you know, it's a really cool thing for me that that's been part of my journey. For sure. You know, and I've, I've found that and I, it doesn't matter to me what the business is, if it's, you know, high school football or journalism or, you know, then the business world, you know, if you can't be where your feet are, you're going to struggle, you know, like I've been around coaches who have interviewed for every single job that ever came open. And how are you being great where you are? Because if your mind's preoccupied with all of those, you're, there's no way you're giving everything that you should give where you're at, you know, like it's just hard. And if you are, if you are doing really good work, people are going to find you, you know, like whether it be mm-hmm. luck or whether it be skill, you're going to be found, you know, if you're doing things um, really good. Let me ask you this, and I'm not sure how to ask this, and I, it may not even be relevant. Have you ever, you know, in the sports journalism world, you know, you're 32. So you're, I mean, you're to me like, okay, you're so young. As being a female, have you ever, thought that you were disadvantaged because I go back on ESPN long enough to when it was a very male dominated, you know, show led by males. And, and, you know, you might could argue that that's still the case. And a lot of 
athletes. I mean, people mm -hmm. that were professional athletes, you know, which you were not like, has that ever, you know, has that ever been an issue or a thought that, you know, entered your mind or been something, you know, I can't, there's no way it was a hurdle to overcome too big because mm -hmm. you're 32 and you're there, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But, it's a great, it's a great question though. And especially the former athlete thing, because watch, watch all of the Sunday countdown shows ahead of NFL games, all of the desks on ESPN, CBS, and Fox, it's all former coaches and former players. Yeah. And usually whoever's moderating that conversation is, is a woman and that's, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's like, how do we get a seat at that table? That's right. the one that we haven't been able to conquer just yet. I mean, there's people like Mina Kimes who are starting to trend in that direction, but we have a long way to go as a gender to getting there. But I, I get this question a lot. And I think that everybody's going to have a different answer for, I mean, every woman you encounter in journalism has been through, has, has their stories. Like we've sure. all dealt with sexism. We've all dealt yeah. with, you know, being singled out. We've all dealt with things that have been really, you know, some challenging times and I think having kind of your support network to get through that and other women who have gone through it is, is super critical to, you know, being able to thrive and survive yeah. in this business. But I, I honestly feel like we're in a time where people like, people like me are normalized now. Like it's, I'm not like this alien that walks into a locker room. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of other people that look like me and where I think we need to go with this. Like we've seen women in this, in the television, the, you know, the video aspect of, of sports journalism, we've seen that area, you know, got, has gotten like the playing fields more level where I'd like to see this conversation go now is getting more women voices on radio, getting more women writers covering teams, because I think I'm the, like there's, I'm, it's myself and one other person, uh, a writer, Colleen Kane for the Chicago Tribune. We are the only female beat writers who cover the bears. Are there female television reporters, weekend sports anchors, daily sports anchors? Those people are out there. Yes. But from a beat writer perspective, we still have a long way to go. And from a radio perspective, we have a long way to go. I'm the only I'm only one of two women on ESPN radio who has their own show, who has a show that has my name in the titles, myself and Amber Wilson. She has one uh, weeknights. Mine's a Sunday morning show. We need to if we're going to look to make more progress, those are the areas more than just the blanket. Get more women involved in sports, of course. But like finding actual solutions and areas to attack that more or less with like the effort of, OK, how can we make sure that women are part of the conversation, not just facilitating the conversation like that? My opinion is what a listener is seeking out, not just me point guarding um, sure. the way we've seen a lot of times like with these like debate show formats and, you know, the countdown shows, because it's like, all right, well, the woman's a lot of times we'll see a woman in a prominent seat there to guide the conversation, but she's not part of the debate and not part of giving her opinion and her analysis on it. That's the next step. I think we, we need to conquer uh, in this, in this industry. No doubt about it. That's, that was a great answer. You know, and I would say this, if, you know, it'll take somebody with some courage, you know, to make that decision, because I think they put too much on um, the fact that a person played football you know, but you could go sit right in the middle between um, Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long or Jimmy Johnson, and you would not miss a beat. You know, like you do, you don't have to 
play professional football to sit in that chair, you know, because of the way you prepare and the way you attack jobs and the way you, the way the good Lord created you, you would, you would rock it. You know what I'm saying? But it's going to, somebody's going to have to take a chance because first of all, just because you're a great, you know, football player don't make you a great journalist or a great anything, you know, I mean, or, or even good at explaining it. I mean, there, there's a difference that I've noticed and I think it's cool. Summertime right now is when we test out a lot of things with like, you know, people take vacations. And so then we get a lot of people coming in to like fill in. So seeing Orlando Brown jr, the offensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals, he's been on sports center. Joe Hayden yeah. has been on uh, NFL live. Like I think it's really neat. The athletes who want to get involved because just because you play the game, just because you're in position rooms, doesn't mean that you can take what your coach says there, what the install tells you and explain it. You can't explain it in the level of like what you'd be talking with, you know, your, your fellow teammates and your position coach with, you've got to explain it in a level that makes sense to the average fan. And even like the avid fan who knows a lot, they're not going to know like an, a 10 syllable play call is not going to mean anything. If you can't tell me why it's important to the offense. Like, so finding the balance between that, you know, because just because someone's a former player doesn't, I mean, of course they're going to have a different perspective, but it doesn't always mean it's like the most important perspective and mixing perspectives, coaches, former players, analysts who are willing to put the work in uh, to learn it. Like no one's above each other. And I think that some of the best people I've seen do that, are the ones who like Marcus Spears on ESPN. He's been a really tremendous addition, I think, for the NFL yeah. live crew. I really like how they've kind of made that a, you know, this the synchrony between all of them, whether it's Dan Orlovsky, Mina Kimes, Marcus Spears, Ryan Clark, and Laura uh, Rutledge just being part of that. Yeah. It works because it feels like you just dropped in on a conversation and it's not take your turn having an opinion on something. And those are people with all different, vastly different experiences. And you don't ever get that former player arrogance that I know we've heard from any of the people that I just named, right. uh, which, is, which is cool because that that disarms people like me who are in a space where, you know, we cover athletes, we cover sports. So we didn't play it, but, you know, there's some athletes who think, well, what do you know? And if you can just take that part away where we're all in the same, we all have something to contribute to the conversation then we're going to be better off for it because you're getting a ton of different perspectives on the same topic. And you might not have thought of something because like, Oh, this person said this. I never, I, you know, from a former player perspective, I didn't think that they felt that way. And this might change how I feel about something else. So I think there's a lot that we can all learn from each other. It's just trying to create, you know, the most well-rounded group of people to talk about something doesn't just mean you need to get a bunch of athletes that all play different positions. Guardian caps are lightweight, one-size-fits-all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian caps can help protect that helmet investment. No doubt, it, because, it, you know, like you said, it's the experience that you're giving to the people that's watching. The mm-hmm. average person watching ESPN, you know, is not a professional athlete. And I would argue the same thing with your, you know, your your greatest coaches for the large majority were not your greatest football players or in any mm-hmm. sport. 
You know, like it's hard for an elite player to understand the masses, you know, like it's just that's complicated because they were on a different level, you know, and that's like like Bill Belichick. Okay, like there's no way that dude was a great college or pro football player. Like there's no way. Okay, like I don't know if he did or didn't, but my guess is he was not. You know, and you can't name very many um, head football coaches that were elite um, Hall of Fame football players, can you? It's hard. I mean, I think that the role of a head coach, especially in the NFL, has changed. You're not just you know. I think it's I think it's really cool, especially on the defense. Like I've noticed this more with defensive coaches those who are willing to pass off play calling duties to their defensive coordinator, something about offensive coaches where they're just stuck to it still. And they want to call plays. They want to be in communication with their quarterback. You find fewer offensive minded coaches who are willing to give that up, but you've got to be CEO as the head coach. You have to see the entire thing. You really like at the NFL level, you don't have, I think, the bandwidth to do it all. And that's why delegating, I know it's difficult for a lot of people and that can be a very sensitive, touchy subject, but the best coaches are the best delegators because exactly. they've built staffs that have people they trust to carry out their vision and their objectives when it does, when it probably doesn't feel like that's, you know, a very easy thing to do. So being able to see, yeah, like, I mean, you won't find many head coaches who were, you know, had won Super Bowls or had, you know, been part of, you know, winning college football programs, all that. Like, I think at some point you've got to pick a lane and that's okay to not have achieved at the highest level as an athlete, because if you're putting your focus on being an elite mind of the game to out scheme an opponent, that's where your focus and your attention's going. And I think that's so, I think that's like, we have a very balanced group of that in the NFL right now. Um, I think with the coaches that, you know, are currently in place. All right. Let me ask you a couple of questions because I had some questions written down and I swear to you, I've not asked one of them yet. Okay. So we, <laughs> we are obviously just been talking. Um, the name of the, the podcast is never stop getting better. Give me, one thing you do on a daily basis to never stop getting better. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> I read because I think that you have to consume as much information as you can, whether it's reading books, whether it's, you know, for me, like going on radio in a couple hours, but the big topics today, June 27th are NBA free agency. I don't cover NBA free agency on a daily basis, but I know I have to read up on what the big issues are, who the big names are, what the NBA CBA looks like. because It's about to change and all of the parameters of free agency to know what I'm talking about and to make it sound, you know, to make my arguments sound and, you know, impenetrable because if not, then you sound uneducated, you sound ill-informed. So I think being able to read no matter what it is, but consuming as much as you can, even if it's just like, you know, like I've got 15 minutes, I'm just going to scroll through my phone and read something. Um, it's more, yeah. it, it, it just, it, it's such a better use. I went to the dentist earlier. And so it's like in the lobby, I'm just like, you know, in the waiting room, I'm, I'm scrolling through reading a Yahoo sports article on Derek Carr. Cause apparently it was something aggregated. Like he was talking about his time ending with the Las Vegas Raiders. So it's like, all right, like, I'm up to date now. I understand what's going on. But on top of that, I, I think finding books that are outside of sports too to keep yourself balanced 
and to to have a lot of different perspectives of what you're consuming is is critically important. Like you can't just read about the thing that you you know sure. you're doing on a daily basis. And you know, I'm always looking for new books. I'm always looking to kind of expand upon what I'm consuming at any given time. Okay, what what do you have like a favorite book that you've read? So. I have, I'm looking over at my, uh, my coffee table right now. I've been swapping books in and out. Um, one of my favorite books, and it's not over there, but I read the daily stoic every day. I like, you know, mark it up. It's basically like the, one of the first things I do and it's all, you know, it's the, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. It was something that Ryan holiday put together. Um, and there are affirmations in there. Like it's, it's a really good, I need to start, I need this to start my day or I don't feel complete. And then you know, my, I have a lot of, I've organized my bookshelf by, by categories. It's my type A personality. So my football books are on one shelf. My goes then basketball, golf, tennis, a little bit of baseball, and then political books on the bottom. And then just kind of a mishmash of a lot of other things. And one that I can see literally at the corner of my eye is when breath becomes air. And it's a, the story. It's a true story. It's, it's a memoir of a neurologist who was dying from I think it's spinal cancer and it was his more or less his diary going through the months until he died. And then the last chapter is his wife finishing the book for him. Um, And it's that perseverance element where this guy is, is has no idea how much longer he's going to make it yet. He's still practicing um, as a physician. And it's, it's unlike anything I've ever read before. And I read it during COVID uh, you know, I, I did kind of a book club with some friends where it's like, let's just find something to read so we can have conversation over zoom right. when we first started doing these. And then I read it again, a couple, like uh, a couple months ago. And I just, it's such a powerful book in the perspective that that provides for me at this stage of my life has been just so critical. So I try to find things that are outside of the realm of sports. I mean, um, you know, I, I definitely have, you know, War Room is a great book, um, yeah. kind of on like the, you know, meat market, the construction of roster building, the, you know, story behind like recruiting in the SEC. Like, there's a lot there, but I also like to take a step out of that and find things that just kind of let you forget about everything else that you're, you know, you might be your day to day and, you know, get lost that way, but yeah. you're also learning at the same time. So it's kind of dual purpose. I can see the when breath becomes air and the, you know, stoic philosophy kind of going together, you know, like that stoic philosophy of, you know, thinking about death, you know, in the, in the sense of, you know, it is coming, you know, like Mm -hmm. we are all walking toward a cliff called death, you know, like it's, it's not going to escape any of us. So how do we get there? You know, do we, do we, you know, take in everything? Do we take it for granted? You know, like, you know, kind of that philosophy of waking up and, making today your masterpiece is, you know, I'm going to say an underlying theme in the stoic philosophy of Ryan holiday and, um, you know, that book that you mentioned, let me ask you this. What are some of the behavior skills of some of the most successful coaches that you've been around? And, you know, like yourself, one of the behavior skills that jumps out at me is confidence. You know, Mm -hmm. like you have this, you have this confidence about you that when you take, a job with, you know, covering the Chicago Bears, like there is this confidence that you're going to go in there and be freaking great. You know, like what is some of those skills that, you know, you think some of the most successful 
people that you've been around and it doesn't matter if it's a coach, if it was a job, yeah. if it was, you know, like what are, what are some of those? I was actually thinking about this earlier. Um, how much I've learned about football from playing golf and golf is one of the most humbling sports. And that's why I, I think know. a lot of coaches really fall into it because you can have a great tee shot and then you can absolutely shank one. And you know, for me, you can have a great approach shot and then you can three putt. No like, doubt. How you rebound from that reminds me of what coaches go through in a football game where, you know, you're having a great drive and then your quarterback throws a pick in the red zone. How do you rebound? How do you adapt and adjust? Because no matter what it is in life, like everything's about adapting and adjusting because mm. chances are whatever plan you have for yourself is going to get like thrown out, thrown out the window at some point. And instead of saying, you know, like, the, you know, instead of the day being a wash, for example, how do you, how do I pick up? How do I rebound? How do I rebound? How do I get back into it? I might've had like a bad couple hours here because my day got ruined or whatever, but like, how do you make sure it doesn't get ruined for the rest of the day? And so lately I've just felt like the golf analogy Cause I mean, like when I, when I can in the summertime, I really do like to play. It's a good, it's a good outdoor activity. I picked it up a couple of years ago. I was really impatient with it when I was a kid. My mom loved to golf. My grandparents did. I never liked it. But when I was 28 in Minneapolis, I'm like, I need to have a hobby because when you retire, you got to have something sure. to, you know, to be, to, to look forward to. You can't work, you know, those of us who like, you know, kind of like your work becomes your personality and it's, you know, obviously coaching is very much that eventually you're going to have to do something outside of that. And you have to have some sort of outlet. So for me, I was like, all right, I'm going to pick up golf. I don't care if I'm not good. I don't care if I can't break a hundred ever. Um, I'm going to try. And so like the more I try and the more I you know, practice it, I'm going to have some really rough rounds. I'm going to hit the ball in the woods. I'm going to hit it in the water and sure. I'm going to have to take a penalty stroke and my score is going to get messed up after I had three good holes, but doesn't mean I'm going to quit right then and there. So that analogy is one that I've seen a lot of coaches play out in real time. Um, and I know a lot of just, it's funny because a lot of the coaches I, I, I interact with, they all like to play golf. Um, and I think that that's probably helps them somehow, some way uh, when they're in crunch time in games. But on top of that, like a, a skill that I feel like, you know, the whole fake it till you make it thing. I don't really like that term, but what I take from that is you're not going to have every question answered when you start out something new you're not going to become an expert but it doesn't mean you can't contribute it doesn't mean you can't learn and eventually get to where you want to go so just because something is really really difficult you feel like an idiot you might not be qualified to talk or do something you still can work towards it because eventually if you put in the work and time you're going to get there and being willing to accept i don't know everything I am going to ask this question. If it's a dumb question, oh, well, I needed to know the answer. I don't ask questions to things I already know. Sure. So that is a skill. A lot of people, it's, it's ego, more or less, is what you're fighting there. Like, you've got to yeah. be able to put your ego aside and say, you know, like for me, talking about hockey, I try to make sure, like, that means it's not a sport that I, you know, I'm not super entrenched in it on a day-to-day -day basis. Of course, when you know, I'm on around the horn and we're talking Stanley cup playoffs. I'm watching then, but regular season, I'm not probably tuning in every night to watch a hockey game, being able to 
know enough to make yourself dangerous, but also being willing to ask questions to people who are covering the sport you might not know all that well. And not being not being afraid to like ask a question that someone might be like, well, that's a dumb question. Oh, well, at least now I know the answer. And yeah. that's like to putting the ego aside of all of that is is how you can become successful, because now I know something I didn't know five minutes ago. And I can then utilize that to build my knowledge base and, you know, guide me in maybe a direction I wasn't expecting to go in. I love it. You know, I would I would sum that up with curiosity. You know, they're just curious and they're not scared. We had a uh, we have a little micro lessons to start football every day. OK, so we'll have 120, 140 kids and, you know, we'll give a two minute lesson. And the other day I talked about courage, curiosity, confidence um, and humility. And at the end, I start, I just asked the kids, I said, you know, give me a definition for it. And man, it's crickets like nobody wants to raise their hand and answer a question. Well, finally, I said, what does confidence mean? Like, come on, man. And, and I have this little ninth grader raise his hand and he says, I said, what is confidence? He says, having enough guts to raise your hand and answer this question in front of the group. And I thought, you know, what like, a great answer. I just thought this dude's going to be a rock star, like not mm-hmm. scared to raise his hand and answer a question. You know, I think that is um, extremely important. And I love the, uh, you know, really how you respond, the adapting and adjusting thing is part of life in general. Um, mm-hmm. all right, if you had to answer the same question, would it be the same answer if I said, what about the best athletes that you've covered? You know, like what is what is a few that that they have that yeah. are similar? The mindset that it's not going to go perfect. Like I think about guys who get injured all the time and fans rag on them and say, oh, like, the, you know, there are a lot of fans who don't understand guys don't want to be hurt because that if your window to be a professional athlete is so short. Nobody wants to spend that being hurt because once it's over, it's over. And then you've got to move on to something else. You're a regular person like the rest of us. So the guys who can look at something to look at a setback and say, it's not going to destroy me. I've got to find a workaround for it. And I'm not going to let anything throw me off of my focus on this. That's hard because when you, in you know, I think professional locker rooms or any locker room, to be able to drown out the noise, to put your blinders on, like, you know, I'm a player trying to make the roster. Oh, wait, they just drafted somebody, a high round draft pick. That guy's going to probably be taking my job. How do I not let myself become so consumed with, man, I've got to beat this person out every single day yeah. instead of just focusing on myself and doing the best I can to show a coach why I'm the most valuable player for, for a roster spot. The best players who can do that are the ones who can play a role who can kind of know their place to a degree, because of course, like if, you know, the bears like position battles are what we talk about during training camp and the bears running back room is loaded right now. That's where all the attention is going to be come, you know, five weeks from now when we're in training camp and how that thing shakes out, is going to depend on who's willing to, you know, who's able to grab a role and hold on to it because that thing can change. And just because you haven't, think the whole idea of the next man up mentality can be really cliche and that can kind of make people like you can kind of gloss over a lot of things within that, but injuries and attrition are just natural things in sport. So being able to constantly stay prepared, even if you don't feel like your number is going to get called. And even if it never does, eventually there'll be a moment where all your hard work will be put to the test. And if you're not prepared, 
then they're just going to move on to the next person and they're not even going to think twice about it. So some of the best athletes I've been around have been the undrafted free agents, the Adam Thielens of the world who did not let stopping, who did not let going to division state, division two, Mankato state, you know, uh, Minnesota state, Mankato stop him from then going to a regional combine and then getting a camp offer, not even like getting signed as an undrafted free agent. He got like a practice, uh, you know, a tryout spot at rookie mini camp back in 2013. And, you know, he's a pro ball wide receiver. He didn't let any of that stop him along the way. And he didn't let an injury stop him from leaving the Minnesota Vikings starting over at 33 years old. Now with the Carolina Panthers, like, being able to constantly evolve in what you do, but also be focused solely on, I need to make sure that I'm the best version of myself. I can't worry about what this person's doing. I can't try to like judge my work based on theirs. I have to put out the best product for myself, you know, of what I'm capable of doing. It's easier said than done. We all struggle with it. Um, But the ones who don't let that sort of imposter syndrome creep in are usually the, have the highest mental fortitude and are the ones who don't let like, you know, the mind games that their own mind play get in the way of them being successful. I love it. Very resilient and very persistent. Let me ask you this. And we're going to, we're going to um, conclude here in just a second. I know you got a lot more important stuff to do than this. Um, what's the last thing that you failed at and what did you do about it? That is a great question. Oh man. Um, last thing I failed at, I think for me, the idea that you can do it all is still something I struggle with because I don't idle very well. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, and I've definitely struggled with, I have to be busy all the time. I have to be a representative of my work and realizing that it's hard. I mean, you get it as a coach, like, your football team is your f- extended family. Your hours are put in that you put in there probably more than you're putting in at home at certain parts of the year. So when when you feel like, man, I'm I'm really like I'm I'm not satisfied in this, or I'm not putting in, you know, I'm just like my work is not fulfilling me right now. Then you feel like you failed. But being able for me, being able to learn how to compartmentalize, like. I can't let this work be all consuming. Of course, it's going to require a lot of bandwidth, mentally, physically, whatever. It's going to require a lot of time, but I can't let it define me. And I would say the failure feeling that I have dealt with has just been, God, I'm not doing enough. Or man, like, did, mm-hmm. you know, did I did I have a take that made me sound like an idiot? And then I'm spiraling about it. Or people say things to you on Twitter. And it's like, man, do I suck? Am I awful? Like, am I just like, you know, am I only on ESPN because I'm a woman? Like you read all this stuff right. and it's the the failure part for me is buying into it. Like, man, like, you know, letting, letting the job consume you to where you lose your identity in it. And that's really difficult because this is a field that will chew you up and spit you out and, you know, move on to somebody else when they don't see you fit for anything. It's not just ESPN, it's this entire industry. So being able to be comfortable knowing that I'm enough and that I've done enough and that it's okay every once in a while to say, no, of course, I'm still going to take every opportunity, you know, reasonably that I can to, to climb the ladder, but also knowing I have to have 
I can't lose me in all of this because once you do, once the burnout becomes a point of no return, then you're done. And never getting to that point is probably one of my biggest, it's, you know, not getting that point is a big challenge, but being able to know I can be proud of what I did. I don't have to feel like, you know, I can take a minute to say, okay, I really worked hard on this. Let me relish in it for a minute, but also get ready to go on to the next thing. Like that has been a big challenge for me and the failures that I've had along the way of trying to do spreading myself too thin, doing too much at once. You got to learn how to pick your spots to learn how to balance, um, but also not make this your entire identity. Uh, one of my coworkers, Freddie Coleman, whose show I'm hosting, you know, tonight, like, uh, cause he's doing first take this week. His Twitter bio is one that has always stood out to me. It said ESPN is where I work. It's not who I am. And that's those four letters are powerful, most powerful right. four letters in sports. And it's, it's very easy to kind of fall into that trap of like, you know, ESPN defines me because ESPN probably won't always be there for me. Like, you know what I mean? Like eventually there will be a new generation that comes in and who knows, maybe I get phased out, but I think being able to stand comfortably on your own two feet and know, okay, no matter what happens, I've still got me in the end. Like that's a, that's something that I think I battle every single day and I'm still trying to figure out how to perfect after some of the the shortcomings I've had in, in dealing with that. Well, you know, number one, everybody in the world has those thoughts, you know, that come to them about, are you good enough? Are you, you yeah. know, we, we, everybody has that. We just can't listen to it. Number two, if you have not read the book Essentialism, you need to read the book Essentialism because it is about, you know, picking and choosing the things that you need to do. You know what I'm saying? And being able to say no and being able to be okay with that. You know what I mean? It's like, hard. It's a, it's, it's, a, great, it's a learned skill that I think, you know, it takes a lifetime to perfect sure. that. No doubt about it. All right. This is the last thing. Um, the, in Nixon, Missouri, I know there is a large um, group of folks that are pulling for one particular Chicago bear. And that is Chase Allen, who is probably mm -hmm. the best football player to ever come through um, Nixa. I mean, have, you know, Chase, obviously, you know, he's um, a tight end with the team. Any thoughts on Chase? Yeah, I think, you know, he was a practice squad guy last year. And again, when you think about how difficult it is for rookies to make a roster to begin with, to carve out a spot and what the grind is like from the time you get there during rookie mini camp to roster cutdown day, there are a lot of guys who are going to be told your services are no longer needed when they go from 90 to 53 and not letting that destroy you, not letting that set you back. And realizing, hey, I will find a place here. Um, and, you know, for him being on the practice squad last year in a vet-heavy tight end room, which had Cole Komet as their top tight end, and then James O'Shaughnessy, Ryan Griffin, who's a veteran, um, and being able to be part of that and continue to learn, like learning from the veterans. I mean, there's a reason that guys like that get signed to futures deals and get you know, who are around, um, you know, who will be around this year. And, you know, he's been a part of, you know, OTAs mini camp and we'll see what happens uh, at training camp this year. There could be a spot because you think about their top two tight end spots are solidified with Cole Komet and Robert Tanyan who came in this off season, you know, it's a run heavy offense. They need sure. guys to block. You need people who are willing to buy into that role 
And that could be, you know, he's kind of, you know, in between like, you know, just in terms of his skill set, what he'd be utilized for in this offense, but having those guys stashed away on the practice squad. So when you need to turn to them, you can like, again, that whole, that goes back to the whole thing about being ready um, for your opportunity. Cause you never know when it's going to come. Well, he will be one of those guys that you were talking about. He will be very resilient. He will be very persistent and he will be, um, knocking on that door and ready. I can promise you that. Well, Courtney, for for never stop getting better, you are a great example of what the reason why I even wanted to do this, man, is is man, that's to cool. provide folks, you know, um examples of people that are chasing success, but chasing it the right way. And you are absolutely awesome. Um excited. Tell me if somebody, I mean, I, normally I say, where can you follow this person? But I would just say, go watch ESPN, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it feels like, you know, it, lately it's been a lot like with, uh, sure. you know, summer for me is a busy time. I'm going to be on first take next week for, throughout 4th of July week. So I'm excited for that. you got to take advantage of the opportunities when they come. And it's, um, it's exciting. I mean, we're a month away from training camp starting. I need time to slow down just a little bit, but um, I'm always excited for football season. Well, I'm excited that you did this and, you know, very grateful. And, um, you know, I'm pulling for you. You are a rock star and have been for 32 years, probably. Um, But until next time, adios amigos. Thank you.